if we were to ask ourselves March 5th today, so we've already lived January, February, and we're going into our third month of a new year. How have we made it so far? How have we made this year so far? How have we started? If we were in a race and all of us are in perfect shape to go on a race this morning, right? All of us, we are ready for a long mile race, right? If life is that race, how have we started? How are we running? And how will we finish? How have we done so far in this year? What have we done? So this month, our theme, which is so exciting, turn your name and say the number five. Five. It's five. And yes, I did put, instead of an F, I put the number five in IVE there. But I think if you look at it, you would instantly think five, right? So turn to your neighbor and give him a high five. So our theme for the next five weeks is the number five. Our title today is Let It Go. And why the number five? Five Sundays from now, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Five Sundays from today, five Sundays from today, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, one of the greatest days of the year. And it's not Easter Bunny and chocolate candy and chocolate bunnies, which we all love and adore. It's not the little pink, uh, puffy bunny candy, if you like those marshmallow candies, which is amazing as well. Easter egg hunts for kids and putting candy and eggs and all those wonderful things. Five weeks from today is Resurrection Sunday, and this is where Jesus Christ, we celebrate his death and his resurrection, the most powerful thing ever as a believer and as a Christian that we celebrate. So it's five weeks from now. Do your neighbor and say five. Jesus, who we celebrate, and we celebrate every day, but we're going to be celebrating and we'll be talking about the next five weeks. He was radical. Jesus was alive. He was radical. He was a teacher. He was a Messiah. Jesus was Lord. Jesus, in his lifetime, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. What is a prophecy? It's something that is predicted that someone will do in the future. So Jesus, at his time on earth, in his 33 years of living, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. If you were to just fulfill one if you were to fulfill, sorry, 48 prophecies, not 300, 48 prophecies, the probability that you would do that, that is 1 in 10, followed by 157 zeros. If you have your papers this morning, I want you to take out your paper, and you see at the very top of your paper, it has the number 5, right? And then below that is a, which the color is a little off because I'd printed in black ink, is a silver dollar. Jesus didn't fulfill 48 prophecies. He fulfilled 324 prophecies, 324 prophecies. And if a man could fulfill 324 prophecies, it's like taking a silver dollar, like what you have on your paper, and it's covering the state of Texas. How many of us are familiar with the state of Texas? Pretty big state. Covering the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, taking one coin one silver dollar, putting a mark on it, blindfolding someone, and saying, go find the coin, the one silver dollar that has a mark on it. That is the probability that one man could fulfill what Jesus fulfilled when he came to this earth. So there are thousands in the Old Testament 
That's what's amazing about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of prophecy about the coming Messiah. And this is what the Messiah will look like. This is what he's going to say. This is what the Messiah will do. This is where he'll be born and on and on and on. 324 things that were prophesied, spoken about in the future that one person would come and fulfill. And so to think about the state of Texas and to think about if we all had our silver coin and we threw it out there and the state of Texas two feet deep and one of us being blindfolded going to find the one right coin. You see, this morning, Jesus is that one right coin. And Jesus is that right moment, that right second. Jesus, in this season, in the next five weeks, as we get ready and we prepare our hearts, there are people in this season who do so many different things to celebrate Easter Resurrection Sunday. They will stop eating meat. They will give up chocolate. They will give up you know, certain things in life because they're making sacrifices for this moment and they want this moment to be real. They want it to be life-changing. They want it to be different. And so in the next five weeks, we celebrate Jesus who is always right for us every single day. Jesus in his life, he faced hardship. He faced hunger. He faced thirst, cold, heat, exhaustion. Jesus was rejected, he was ridiculed, he was whipped, he was beat, he was crucified. Jesus taught so many parables, and the New Testament parables are a story, an illustration that brings a spiritual truth. Jesus taught parables in his life, he taught stories, real life stories. Jesus taught lessons and principles using farming, using seeds, trees, fruit as illustrations. Jesus talked about life, death, he even talked about money. Heaven, hell. Jesus, while he was here, he performed so many miracles. Apostle John said there were so many miracles and so many that we were not able to write down. And if we were, it would fill up so much space. Jesus said, John said about Jesus, he performed so many miracles, healing the body, the soul, the mind, eyes, ears. Jesus delivered people from demons. Jesus even raised the dead before his own body was raised. Jesus demonstrated his power on this earth by when he told the wind and the waves, when he was in a storm to calm down, the wind and the waves, Jesus demonstrating his power, they stopped because they listened. Jesus demonstrating his power through the earth while he was here, every single moment, every single second, this powerhouse, this amazing man, the son of God called Messiah, called Lord, his name this morning is Jesus. And so we have the privilege and honor this season to talk about Jesus. Matthew 7, 13, our opening verse says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult, and only a few find it. And so this morning, as we jump into our new theme, and as we jump into the message today, let it go, couple things. First one, Jesus said you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. How many of us have ever thought God's a little rough? He has rules, there's regulations, you know, church is rough, he has rules, he has regulations. There are people on our planet, 7 billion people, who feel at times God can be rough, that God is mean, He's narrow. And then this verse says, it's a narrow road to heaven. There are atheists, people who say they believe in nothing. Life is nothing. 
There are 4,200 different religions, and people want to make their God out of however they feel and however they think. Now, ask yourself this morning, as a parent, if you have the privilege to be a parent, do your kids in your house, do they have the privilege to do whatever they want to do every single day, or do they have to follow some of your rules? Now, interestingly enough, when we're in charge, we like control and power and rules. Ah, but wait a second. When someone else is in charge, ooh, there's a new set of rules I got to follow. See, as people, what we don't realize, no offense, because I'm the same way as you, we all the same, we all could be a little hypocritical. And sometimes what we say we don't like about God, we even do ourselves. Jesus said, it's a narrow road that leads to heaven. And so for many, they hear that and they can think, my gosh, that's so mean. It's so mean. I like the broad road. Why, why isn't the, heaven, the road to heaven broad? People today, there's a religion that they, they want to make a buffet out of religions. And I'm going to take 42 different 100 religions. I'm going to mix it in, and it's going to become the next new religion. So we have 4,201. But it doesn't really work like that. That's like going to our kids and saying, you're going to find a way to get to school every day, but I want you to get straight A's. I'm not going to help you with homework. I'm not going to help you do anything in life. You just do whatever you want to do. How is that kid, how would they survive, right, without us, right? How would our kids survive without these wonderful parents? How would they, don't they need us? Don't they need our guidance? There is a broad road that leads to destruction. And this morning, unfortunately, not us in here because we're all beautiful, wonderful, good people. Sometimes our spiritual life, we look at it as a broad sense and it's a broad road. And however broadly I want to live today, I can do instead of choosing the narrow way. Matthew 5:41, Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, instead go two. In the old days, and we like to talk about the good old days and the good old boys, right? Never meaning no harm. We like the good old days and fancy cars and old cars, and we like all the good oldies and this and this and this and this. And in the old days, you know what's different than today? People worked really hard in the old days. People had to, it was blood, sweat, and tears, working sun up till sundown. And you know what the difference is between today's and yesterday? Some of us have forgot how to work. And some of us have forgotten how to sweat. And if we were to think about being spiritual and being a Christian, if it's a narrow road that leads to heaven, Jesus said small, only a few find it. Jesus said if someone asks you to go one mile, he says don't just walk one, go two. What is he saying to us this morning? It takes a greater effort. In the next five weeks, we get ready to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. What greater effort is God asking of us this morning as we start thinking and wrapping our heads around what Jesus is going to do in five weeks? Our main text this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to John chapter 2, and we're going to start with the very, very first miracle in the Bible that Jesus performed. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples were also invited to the celebration. 
The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not my problem. That's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Verse 5. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars, jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first that Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mothers, his brothers, and his disciples. Jesus, as he comes out with his very first miracle, recorded miracle in the Bible, he's at a wedding. Weddings could go seven days. The Jewish people are so different than us. A wedding isn't a, a 30-minute ceremony. A wedding, a ceremony, the process, seven days of celebrating. There was giving of gifts, giving and exchanging of money. And sometimes families had exchanged money for the, for the bride and the groom. There were so many different things that would happen in a week. But one of the things they did, how many of us know when, when you think about a wedding today, I had a, a cousin who got married in Massachusetts. And he, at this wedding in Massachusetts, it cost, I think it was $450 a plate per person. And if you were to have a wedding and you, you know that you have to send out invitations, how many people do take in consideration the cost of every invitation, of every person, of every, every food and plate that would be served? And so, so different than in this day. Because in this day, they weren't thinking, I've got enough for only 100 here. They would invite the whole town. They invited the whole town. Because to them, more is greater. And so they invited everybody, brothers, sisters, cousins, grandparents, every single person. Because the more people that were there, it was honorable to the family as they celebrated in marriage and this ceremony. They, wanted, they run into one small problem in the middle of the celebration. Something so embarrassing, so shameful to the family, they ran out of wine. Now why would that be shameful? Because in this day, you had two choices what to drink. Water, wine. Now wine at this moment, doesn't, it's not exactly is it as strong as we're thinking now. Because that there was different levels. And so some people, yes, they would ferment the wine and it would be powerful. But most, it was not fermented as long. And so the option was, and it was a little stronger than grape juice. But you had water, and then you had the option for a little strong grape juice. But it was embarrassing. Imagine you being, this is your home, and your kids, and you're celebrating their marriage, and then there's nothing to drink. Because if we all had given the option to drink water or fermented grape juice, most of us at a party celebration, we would choose the wine, right? Yes, we have a few water people this morning, but there would, most of us would say, sure, I'll have a little of that fermented grape juice. So it's shameful. It's embarrassing. Oh my gosh, 
We have nothing left for them to drink other than water. And so we see Jesus' mom. She comes to Jesus. Jesus has just beginning, not even, sorry, yet begin his ministry. And she says to him, Jesus, there's no more wine. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, why would she say that to her son? If, if Jesus hasn't begun his ministry yet, if Jesus has not begun healing and showing miracles to the entire world and the entire town, how would she, what would she know in her son? Was she just thinking, maybe my son Jesus is resourceful. He can pull stuff out of a hat. How? Why? Or was there miracles that Jesus performed through his young life? They're just not recorded. For whatever reason, she knew that her son could do something in this moment. But I like how Jesus responds, responds to his mom. He says, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's not your problem. It's not our problem. My time, he says to her woman. He doesn't even call her mom. He says, woman, right? Just like when there could be an argument at home, sometimes instead of calling our wives by their name, it could be woman, right? None of us men would do that in here, though, because we're all sweet, kind husbands. He says, woman, it's not our problem. It's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my problem. Why involve me? And sometimes it's what we do to God without realizing the same very words that Jesus spoke here. Jesus, this is not my problem. The homeless are not my problem. A hungry community is not my problem. People who are begging on the street corner, they're not my problem. People, when I pass them at Walmart, and they could be headed in the worst place in the whole wide world, and they're having the worst day. Jesus, they're not my problem. At home, our spouses, our kids, I just don't feel like dealing and doing anything in this moment. Nobody, nothing in life. It's my problem. I just want to take care of me. Not my problem, not my time. We know one of our favorite verses that Jesus said, Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And how many times does God put something for us to do right in front of our eyes? And we say, ah, it's not my problem. Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd of people and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Jesus in this minute, Jesus in this moment, for whatever reason, he says to his mom, it's not my problem. And sometimes with God, we use those very same words. This is not my problem. It's not something I need to deal with. But I ask you this morning, God has put us on a planet with 7 billion other people. We're one in 7 billion, and we're special. It's not one in a million. It's not one in a thousand. We're one out of seven billion, right? We are a special group of people. But just as special as you are, so is every single person on this planet. You know what the tragedy of life is, though? Not all of us have the pleasure and privilege to grow up in a beautiful, wonderful, easy environment. And you know what happens sometimes in life? There are horrible and horrific things that happen to people at a young age. There's kids who get abused every single day. There's kids who get molested every single day. There are horrible things that kids witness at a very young age. And you know what that does to a brain? It creates filters in our brains. And so out of, we're one out of seven billion, sometimes 
We have no idea what the other 6.99999 billion are feeling, thinking, because we have no idea how they grew up. We have no idea what they've gone through. And so what did Jesus do when he saw the people of this planet? He had compassion. Today, in the next five weeks, what's God want us to have? Compassion. His mom, even though Jesus said no, she says, do as he says. Mary, she had faith in Jesus. She had faith in her son. She believed that there was a problem, but it was instantly going to be solved through her son. Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty two. he said to his disciples, have faith in God. And I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. These verses that Jesus, I just described, Matthew, sorry, Mark eleven twenty two through 23. Jesus said, have faith in God, believe and ask, and it will really happen. When Mary said to Jesus, I need you to do something, she believed fully. She had that faith, that mountain-moving faith that my son, this man, Jesus, was going to do something great right now, right in this second. Have faith in God. Jesus goes on in 24, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you receive it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And I know none of us in here have ever held a grudge against anybody or unforgiveness. But interestingly enough, when Jesus is talking about faith, he said, forgive and then pray and ask. Forgive every single person who wrongs you, every single person who betrays you. Forgive and then pray and say, God, this is something that is desperate. I'm something I'm desperate for, something that I need. Have faith in God. And so I wonder this morning, as Jesus was describing this, and as there's a desperate moment in this story, is there anything that you're desperate for today? Is there anything that you're believing for in this moment? Is there anything that is in your heart, mind, and soul that is troubling you? Something that is troubling somebody that you know in your heart, mind, and soul? Is there anything desperate that any of us are going through? Luke 137, with God, nothing will be impossible. So Jesus goes and gets six stone jars. Turn to your neighbor and say, six stone jars. Now these stone jars, they're important to have at your house. Back in the day, there was only dirt roads. So when you'd get to a party, you'd get to a wedding, you'd get to somebody's house for dinner, the number first, the first thing that you had to do you had to clean up. Even if you cleaned up in your house. I know most of us only like to shower once a day. This is like taking two showers. But you get cleaned up. You leave your house. You walk so many miles to the party. You get to the party. And the very first thing you have to do is what? You got to clean up all over again. You got to wash your feet. Usually then they would, you'd have some help for that. But you got to wash your hands, wash your face, make sure that you're clean because you're going to eat food. If you eat food with dirty hands, it makes you an unclean person. And so there were six stone jars that were here for, ready, ceremonial washing so that they could be clean. Jesus takes these water and he tells the, the men and the servants, take these stone pots 
and take them to the, basically it was the wedding coordinator, take them to the wedding coordinator. And so these men grab these stone jars and the minute they grab them and before they get to the wedding coordinator, in a second, in an instant, this water that, that was a little bit, you know, murky, but it's somewhat clear, kind of like our clean hemet water here. And in one second, this water, it goes from being a water substance into a wine substance. In one second, the, the, the miracle, the power of God, all Jesus said to them is take these pots and move them over here to the wedding coordinator. And instantly, they were transformed into wine. Reminds me of a verse as we're talking about pots this morning, stone jars. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this light shining in our hearts because we ourselves are like fragile J, uh, jars of clay containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing a great treasure that makes it clear that our power is from God, not from ourselves. And so in one second, we see these stars that were transformed, these jars that were transformed into wine. As they get to the wedding coordinator, he tasted and he says, what have you done? Usually at a wedding, you would serve your best wine at the beginning, and then over seven days, if you, and none of us here would be like this, but after seven days of feasting and celebrating, your senses become dull. And so at the seventh day, you would bring out very cheap wine. You would mix two parts water to wine. And so by the seventh day, you're not giving them anything good, right? It's watered down wine. But the wedding coordinator, he turns to the servants, he says, what are you doing? You brought out the very best. Wine in the Bible is a symbol of blessing. And see, what God was symbolizing in this moment is that the greatest blessing to mankind as the water changed to wine, wine a symbol of blessing, the greatest blessing that he's ever given to mankind, Jesus had just instantly arrived. And in this moment, Apostle John says this miraculous sign, the very first miraculous sign that Jesus did. How many of us have ever, you know, said, you know, the youth are our future. The youth are so important. What happens? And it, it is true that what happens in the next generation, how we raise our kids, how we teach them, how we help them and guide them and kind of, you know, mold and shape them the best that we can as parents given the best and try to do the best that we can. And how many of us say it's for our grandkids, it's for our kids, for the future. But one of the things God wants me to say this morning is it's not just about the youth. It's about you this morning. And no matter your age this morning, think about this. If many people around the world are talking that this is getting close to the end of the world. And if this is the end, if, if life could end in a year, if life could end in five years, you know what's crazy? God saved you as his best for this moment. He could have put any other people or any other group, but for whatever reason, if this is the end and the end that we're living in, he saved his best for last. You are God's best this morning. You are absolutely God's best. And in your heart and in your mind, in your soul, in the gifts, the talents, and the abilities, the way that you talk, the way that you speak, the way that you help people, the way that you give to people, God giving his very best for this moment. In 2023, you are the very best. Yes, the youth could be the future, 
But you know what right now is the future? You are. You are right now. This is the very best moment. Why? Because you're here. And you're alive. And in this moment, the greatest blessing, Jesus Christ, has now arrived. And it's not how we begin, but how many of us know it's how we finish. If we start a race and we're in a 10-mile race, it's important to get a good start. But if we're shooting to win at the very end, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish the race. How are you going to finish the race in front of you this morning? How are you going to put the drive, the stamina, the energy, and everything that you have inside of you to finish the race that is ahead of you? There's another verse in the Bible, Matthew 9, verse 17, and it says, No one puts new wine into old white skins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruin the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins, so that both are preserved. This morning, interestingly enough, we celebrated communion. And in communion, Jesus said, This is the blood of my covenant. This is a new covenant that God is making with you. That as you accept the sacrifice, as you believe in the broken body of Jesus, as you believe in the blood that washes away all of our sins, there's a new covenant between God and man, this bridge between heaven and earth called Jesus Christ. So as we celebrate that, as we talk about the first miracle in the Bible, water into wine, Jesus in this verse, he says, you can't put something new into something that is old. Five this morning, our theme for this month, there's five weeks. And the first thing in, in number five I want to ask, if you can't put new wine into old skins because the skins would burst, is there anything new that God's trying to put into you, but you're still holding on to too many old things? How many of us is, is there's so many good things that happen throughout our days, our young days. There was good things when we were young, when we were, you know, uh, junior high and high school. So many different things that we have the privilege to experience. But I wonder this morning, we're wanting more of God. But is there something that we have to let go before we can get the more of what we're asking? Is there anything inside of you this morning? We want to go deeper. We say more of your presence, more of your healing, more of this, more of this, more of this. But maybe God's taking a stand back and saying, I'm willing to give it, but I'm asking you to let this go. And so we, as we look at these five next weeks, number one, is there anything in our life that God may be asking us to let go of? Matthew 20, 16 says, those who are last now will be first. Those who are first will be last. Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be a servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Be careful how we live. Don't live like a fool, but live like someone who's wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Number, number one, what is God asking us to let go? Number two, who's God asking us to serve? Where should I serve? How should I serve? How can I help somebody? Who has God put in my life that I can serve? Remember, Jesus said, I look at people, and what do I feel? Compassion. Who are the people that God has put into our life that he's asking us to be driven by compassion? Thirdly, 
What is it that God is asking us to make the most out of? That very first verse that I read in the Bible, the second one, was going the extra mile. Where is God asking us to go extra today? What is God asking? It's time to, to do this, but go a little bit harder. Go a little bit more. Give just a little bit more. Work just a little bit harder. Where is the extra mile that God is asking? As we start to wrap up this morning, I asked in the next five weeks in our theme, there's going to be some really amazing stories. We're going to see parables that Jesus taught. There's going to be life lessons that Jesus gives in the next five weeks. To me, Jesus is everything. He was so radical because it's not only just a man, but he was God. And the way that he lived, the way that he taught, the way that he gave of himself, Every single thing, if you look at his life in those three years, we only get a glimpse of three years of his life in his ministry. Every single thing that he did, he was so amazing. He was so loving. He was so kind. He was so giving. He was so strong. And he was so powerful. And so the next five weeks, I ask, let's lean in to these stories. Let's dig in. Let's read our Bible when we get the opportunity of the day just to read a little bit of the Bible, to lean in, to listen. And ask God, what exactly is he saying this morning? My last verse this morning, Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. If you ignore the least of commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. If you look up the number five in the Bible and what it means, grace, goodness, and favor. And in the next five weeks, it's what God wants to show us, how good his grace is. How good the goodness and kindness of God and his favor and his favor that shines down upon every one of us. Jesus said in those verses, Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come here to get rid of rules. I know we want to break them, but he said, I didn't come here to get rid of the rules. I came to fulfill every rule. I came to fulfill everything. I didn't, it's the beautiful thing with the Old Testament. As you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you see Jesus, as you see the Son of God, if you see all these wonderful things that he did, it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. As you read the Old Testament, you can see so many different puzzle pieces, the beginning of life, the beginning of creation, beginning of humanity, all these things. And the more you read the Old Testament, you know what happens? The New Testament will make sense as well because it all ties together. Jesus said, I did not come to get rid of it, but I came to fulfill it. God wants to fulfill you this morning in every single way. Just as Jesus fulfilled what God had asked him to do, God wants you to know that he wants you to be fulfilled in every single way, that you are the best for this moment that he created us for. You are the very best. We are his MVP. We are God's MVP for this moment and for this time. And as we celebrate five, grace, goodness, and favor 
open up your heart today to let that grace sink in just a little bit more. Open up your mind to let his goodness sink in just a little bit more. Open up your life to let his favor cover you just a little bit more this morning. My title was Let It Go. And I don't know if you ever saw the cartoon Frozen. There was a cartoon called Frozen. And this cartoon called Frozen, it's about a girl who had these powers that she could freeze things, right? And she accidentally freezes her sister, and so her sister's heart starts turning to ice cold. Fear uh, does the exact same thing to every one of us. What does it do to our lives? It freezes and paralyzes us. We today, we today in the next five weeks, we the rest of our lives to finish the race that God has put us here. We make sure that we let go of everything, anything that tries to, to put fear into our lives. 1 John 4, 16 says this, we know how and to rely on the love of God that he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment in this world so we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love.